0: You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning to 1120. Glad all of you are here today. The the goal for for everyone here, I pray, is to take one step forward this week in, in your prayer life to come to the conclusion where we can individually say, my prayer life, it it could be better. That the most spiritually mature person in this room, you can say that your prayer life can be better the spiritually immature person in this room you can say my prayer life could be better we need to come to a place I think it's helpful for us to to realize and identify that we can grow in our in our lives of prayer we can grow in our spiritual discipline of prayer in fact could you just say that phrase my prayer life could be better would you say that with me please my prayer life could be better I'm glad to hear you admit it because me too We could all grow in our our lives of of prayer. And we've offered some resources to you the past few weeks. We'll offer the resource again to you today of getting a journal when you leave when this gathering is over. Uh, this journal I hope will kind of help in um, in the organization of, of prayer and the organization of, of writing out your prayers inside every one of those journals there's a little prayer quadrant uh, that you, you see on the screen with praises, confessions, a request and, and answers that kind of help you organize your your prayer life. Uh, you see that I, I wrote in some some things this week uh, on praises God you're, you're matchless and you stand above all else. Um, confession, you know, God, my, my temper was short this week. My patience was was thin. Um, by the way, I, these are just kind of made up requests. Uh, the request for, for an imaginary guy named Kevin who is struggling with his faith because he, he's healing. And this is why you know that I, I made it up. Uh, God, you closed the door on a job opportunity. I was not looking for a job this week anywhere. Just wanted you to know. So it wasn't that God closed an opportunity. I was just writing out some things that you might want to to write out. God, th- these are, th- this is my heart. These are my praises, these are my confessions, these are my requests, and these are my, my answers. Um, having a prayer journal, having a prayer quadrant will, will help you to be organized. It helps you to move from desire to implementation, right? What is it that gets us from desire to implementation? A plan, um, organization. And so maybe this prayer journal would be a plan for you. This prayer journal and these prayer quadrants would be an organization for you, because probably all of us in this room, we have a desire to grow deeper in, in prayer. But it's just moving from desire to actuality, from, from the, the desire to the implementation. And maybe that prayer journal, today's our last day, we'll be selling those in the lobby. Maybe that kind of help you to move into some organization in your prayer life. Two weeks ago, we looked at this question, like, what is prayer? And then last week, we looked at the question, what is fasting? So we have answered that question of what is prayer, what is fasting, but today I wanna ask the question, why, why should we pray? My guess is most of us here could probably come up with a definition of prayer. It's it's communication with, with God. But maybe the reason many of us struggle with our consistent prayer lives is because we have never heard or we have forgotten why we should pray. Now, we've been in the gospel of Matthew ever since August the 20th. And so if you're a freshman, Uh, I want you to know there are other books that Highland opens up to on on Sunday mornings. And so today, why don't we turn to the book of Isaiah together. Let's go back to the Old Testament and go to Isaiah chapter 38. Uh, Isaiah is the 23rd book in the Old Testament, which may not help you at all, but it does kind of live in, in the sequence of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you today... If you go right in the middle, you should hit pretty close to the book of Psalms. Go to the right, about five books or so, and let's get to Isaiah chapter 38 together. And as you turn there, let me give you a little context of what is happening in this portion of, of Isaiah. Uh, Hezekiah is the king in Judah, and of course, Isaiah is the prophet in Judah during during this time. Uh, and Hezekiah is about to get some bad news from the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 38, we'll just begin here in in verse one. I encourage you to find that chapter and keep your Bible open. The remainder of the morning, this is where we will be. Isaiah 38, verse one. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and I have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So here's the bad news that comes to Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah. It's one of those thus saith the Lord's. Uh, Hezekiah hears that bad news, he turns the wall, he begins to weep, he begins to pray. And here comes the answer. Look at Isaiah 38, pick it up here in verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend, he's speaking of Jerusalem, will defend this city. So again, Isaiah shows up and tells Hezekiah he has a shelf life, like, and it's almost over. Um, Hezekiah, you have an expiration date and you're about to hit it. You are sick, and it says at the very end of verse one, you will not recover. Hezekiah hears this. Now, you may not know this unless you went back to, Second uh, Samuel, Second Kings, and Second Kings. Hezekiah is 39 years old, so this is pretty young to be given the news. You're, you're on your deathbed. You're you're about to die. And further down the story, we see that the sickness is actually the result of it, of, of a boil. An infected boil that begins to bring an infection throughout his entire system. So he probably has sepsis as he is here, maybe on his sick bed or maybe even his deathbed when, when Isaiah comes to Hezekiah to give him this news. In fact, I do think that perhaps Hezekiah was in bed because it says in verse 2 that he turns his face to, to the wall. So in my mind, perhaps he, he he turned over in bed toward the wall, and it says here in verse 2, and he prays to the lord That should be all caps in your Bible because that's the name of the Lord, Yahweh. And his prayer is simple. He doesn't really ask God for, for healing. Did you notice that? He does not call out to God and say, God, I've heard this ter- terrible news that, I, that I'm sick. Would you please heal me? Would you please come in and, and, and rescue me? It's really interesting. He does not really ask God for anything. He doesn't plead with God's mercy. He pleads with God's memory. His prayer in verse three is please, O oh Lord, remember how I have walked with you. I have walked before you in faithfulness. and I have walked with you with a whole heart and I have done what is good in your sight. Then we see here that Hezekiah wept bitterly. That word in Hebrew means to weep in pain or weep to the point of exhaustion. And so he has asked the Lord to remember him. Then he, he weeps bitterly. It is a simple, simple Prayer, but God honors it. God answers this non demanding, simple, broken man's prayer. And I love this in verse five. I'm sure you saw it. God heard his prayers and saw his tears. There's probably someone in this house today that needs to hear this. God hears your prayers, and God sees your tears. Psalm chapter 56, verse eight says that God keeps our tears in a bottle, that he records our sadness. He records our our tears in in his book. In other words, God sees our grief. God sees your grief. God knows when you're in anguish. Uh, God takes note when you are hurting. God takes note when you're weeping. God takes note when you, you are sad. And that simple prayer was enough because God sends Isaiah back at the very end of verse five, the beginning of verse six, and says, 15 years will be added to your life. And then God goes above and beyond even that and says at the end of verse six, and I will promise to save Jerusalem. And we're gonna see here how God heals Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah. You're in Isaiah chapter 38, just go down to verse 21. So Isaiah 38, verse 21, it's in your Bible, it's on the screen also. Here's how the healing happens. Now, Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. First of all, gross. Sorry to bring that up before before lunch. And honestly, to me, fig paste is just as disgusting as a boil to me. So Isaiah's gonna get a fig newton and rub it all over the oozing boil of, of Hezekiah. Again, black. But this is how God determines he's going to heal Hezekiah through, through fig pulp. And the prophet Isaiah is gonna rub this over this infected boil that probably has brought sepsis into his, into his system. You, see, some maybe in this house today you think you're too busy to pray. Some in this house today, maybe you think you really can't afford the time to pray. Here's, here's the king. I'm sure he's busy with a few things. Here's a king whose city is surrounded by the Assyrians, the most powerful army on the planet. I'm sure he has a few things on his mind. He's been told, get your order, your life in order, your house in order, you're not gonna be restored. You're not gonna recover from this, and he prays. Some in this house, again, may think that you're too busy to pray. Some think you can't really afford the time to pray. The reality is this, you can't not afford to pray. I know that's a double negative English teachers, but it's a good theology. You can't not afford to pray. There's no way that you can be so busy that you've gotten to a place of busyness that you cannot pray. Because church, listen, when we don't pray, we deny what God wants to do in our lives. And we're told all throughout as New Testament believers in New Testament passages to pray. In Romans chapter 12, we're told to pray. Ephesians chapter six, we're told to pray. Philippians chapter four, we're told to pray. Colossians chapter four, we're told to pray. First Thessalonians chapter five, we're told to pray. James chapter five, we're told to pray. Over and over again, These are these strong exhortations, one after another, that the New Testament tells us to be people of prayer. Why would God repeat himself so often in the New Testament to call us to be people of prayer? Is to remind us that prayer does not come easily. And I would say in the flesh, prayer does not come naturally. We want to do things ourselves. We want to take charge and take control of the situation. And so prayer does not come easily to us. We get so preoccupied with the situation. We get so busy with our emotions and prayer just gets tossed out completely and we miss our time with the Father who so loves to hear from his children. So why pray? Four things I have for you today from this passage. The list could be much longer than that. The list could be exhaustive, but I just have four. You're welcome. Number one, why pray? Because I may not receive what God has for me until I ask. Why should we pray? Because I may not receive what God has for me until I ask. You may wanna put a little notation if you're taking notes of a little cross-reference there. James uh, chapter 4, verse two, that says we do not have because we do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask from God. Now we saw this a few weeks ago. If, 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 if God already knows what we need, we see that from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, if God already knows what we need, why does he tell us to ask him? Why does he bid us to make requests before him? It's not that God delights in withholding good things from us. I mean, every good parent in this room knows that you don't wait for your kids to beg for food until you give them dinner. You don't wait for your kids to ask for new clothes until you take them clothes shopping. You don't ask for your kids to, to beg you for a good night kiss or, or plead with you to, to tuck, you, tuck them in at nighttime or to give them a big hug. No, a good parent does not withhold good things. God also does not withhold good things. We even see this in Psalm chapter 84, verse 11, that God will withhold no good thing from his sons and his daughters, from his people. But listen, Helen, there are times when God wants us to ask for things. Let me ask this question. I think you see this on the screen as well. Why would God want us to ask? And I'll give you three thoughts on this. For our humility, our patience, and our gratitude. This is why God wants us to to ask for things, to make requests for things, to to ask, to seek, to knock. For, For our humility, it is a humbling thing for us to realize that we cannot A lot of us in this room, we struggle saying even that phrase that I can't do this. I I can't overcome this. I can't get through this. And so the reason God is asking us to ask of Him, bids us to ask from Him, is we realize that we cannot, but God can. And it takes humility to ask. Pride doesn't ask, humility always asks. And so we see here, why would we pray? Because of our humility. The second thing, because of our patience. We, we learn patience while we're waiting on the things that we have asked from God. If God's just gonna give us everything and anything without asking for him, you and I are never taken through those days of patience. And so when we ask God for things, we have to sit back and wait, and we have to develop patience. And let's just say this of all the people in this room today, we don't wait well. We're not good waiters. We pray for things and we want things immediately. We hope for things, wish for things, and we want them immediately. We do not wait well. And so when we ask and God bids us to come and ask from him, we have to learn to to wait on him, to wait on the Lord. And here's the good thing. When you and I wait on the Lord, he renews our strength. And so as we develop this patience, as we ask, and thirdly, just our gratitude, we learn to be grateful when God comes through. When we ask for something, we see the, the answer. When we knock on his door and he opens up, but when we seek the Lord and he is the, the Lord who can be found, when he answers these prayer requests of ours, it allows us to be grateful for what we, what we receive. And listen to this, here's the other side of that. When you don't get what you receive, you can always thank God for what he has given you in the past. There is always something for which you and I can be grateful. For here in the story, we see Hezekiah coming to this simple place of asking, He really, again, does not ask for healing. He does not ask for that infection to be gone. Look at the prayer. It's just two words in verse two. Here's the only action that Hezekiah asks of God. Please remember. That was the only asking. It was Hezekiah taking a step toward God and saying, God, would you please remember, God is wanting every person in this room today to just take one more step toward him to know him, to press up close to him. Secondly, why pray? Because God delights to show himself strong on my behalf. I put these in first person for you because God delights to show himself strong on my behalf. This is why we pray. This is why we come before him. This is why he tells us to come into his presence with request. Because there's another context of this story that you probably picked up on by reading verse five and verse six of chapter 38. Jerusalem is surrounded by the Assyrian army that is led by a guy whose name is Sennacherib. I mean, talking about a stressor, Hezekiah is told you're about to die from this infection of a boil, but your city's also surrounded by a superior army that's been wiping nations off the map. In fact, we see Hezekiah's prayer because of the surrounding of Jerusalem one chapter earlier. I want you to see this. It's a it's a fascinating prayer hezekiah is growing in his prayer life he understood that his prayer life could be better so he prays some in chapter 37 he prays again in chapter 38 go back to chapter 37 and see how hezekiah prays knowing that his city of jerusalem is being surrounded by the much superior assyrian army go to isaiah chapter 37 look at verse 14 may just be one page to the left it may be on that page already isaiah chapter 37 look at verse 14 So Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. Sennacherib has delivered a message to uh, the messengers of Hezekiah and that messenger has brought it back to Hezekiah. So Hezekiah reads it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, went up to the temple mount and spread that letter before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Here's his prayer. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock you, to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For there were no gods but the work of man's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Verse 21, then Isaiah, the son of Amas sent to Hezekiah saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. This is so key. Because you have prayed to me. If you have a pen or pencil or mascara or lipstick, whatever you want to do, would you underline those words in your Bible if you're okay with writing your Bible and you should be okay in writing your Bible. There's nothing sacrilegious about marking in your Bible. Underline those words right there. Because you have prayed to me concerning the situation, concerning Sennacherib, the the king of Assyria. That's so important because we see the answer of that prayer over in chapter 38 that we read just in, verse six, when it says, I will deliver you, the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah to go to Hezekiah, I will deliver you. And then again, go above and beyond that, and I will deliver this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, that is Sennacherib, and will defend this city. God showed himself strong on behalf of Hezekiah. God showed himself strong on behalf of Jerusalem, on behalf of Judah, because of prayer. So Hezekiah is growing in his prayer life. He is asking for things, and God is answering. And so Hezekiah begins to pray some more, begins to pray again. Do you know what builds up your prayer life? Prayer. Because when you pray, you'll pray some more. And if you pray some more, you want to keep praying some more. You pray and you see God at work, either on the exterior or often, more than not, on the interior, Working in your heart, and as you see God working in the situation, working in the circumstances, working in your character, working inside of your life, working in your spirit, working in your heart, it makes you want to pray even more. God delights to show himself strong because that causes us to dial up our prayer, to ramp up, amp up our prayer, to increase our praying. Thirdly, why pray? Because prayer combats fear, anxiety, and worry. Prayer pushes against fear. Uh, Prayer pushes against fear. Prayer pushes against the darkness of anxiety. Prayer pushes back on worry. Hezekiah had to have felt fear and anxiety and worry. When you're told to get your affairs in order, verse one, to set your things in order, you shall die, you shall not recover. The very next feelings you have are anxiety and worry and fear. It was two years ago that my dad um, called and asked if I could swing by the house and for us to talk. I kind of knew immediately something was up by just the tone of his voice. And I got there and my mom wasn't there, so I knew definitely something was, something was up. And dad asked if we could sit on the back porch and, and talk. And he began to tell me pretty quickly that um, some numbers from the enzymes on his liver were really bad, to the point where his doctor said, this this is what's gonna take your life. And the numbers were ever ever increasing in in the wrong direction. And so my dad, who's a very godly man, loves the Lord, fears the Lord, treasures the Lord. As he was telling me about his death that was approaching, his eyes welled up with tears. I, I could hear in his voice even this anxiety, this this worry and as he began to, to have tears in his eyes and felt anxiety, I began to feel the anxiety and then tears began to well up in my eyes as well Here, here's a godly man who loves the Lord. I understand that God's going to deliver him to to heaven. It, it was not this this overwhelming distress we, we, I was not destroyed but I felt this anxiousness in my own heart and felt this anxiousness for for my father as as it seemed that, that life was wrapping up for him as God would have it in God's kindness and sovereignty, God healed him from from that liver disease. And he's preaching today. Some of y'all know this, he's 82 years old and he's probably been here 12 times because in the last 10 years, he's always preaching somewhere. He's been the interim pastor of the church like five years now. I think they stopped looking for another pastor. They just enjoy him being there out out in Crawford. But I'll never forget uh, my, my dad, a godly man facing death and he had fear, tears. Some worry. I felt that same anxiety. But you see, there's a peace that passes all understanding that ministers even in the middle of our fear, deep into the depths of our heart when we pray. God knows that we're frail. Uh, God knows that we're given to, to, to fear and to worry and to anxiety. But when we pray, we're strengthened. When we pray, we're, we're calmed. When, when we pray, we're, we're secured. Fourthly, why pray? Because prayer bends my will to the will of God. When we pray, we're submitting ourselves, we're submitting our hopes, we're submitting our very will to the will of God. In this story, it was God's will for Hezekiah to live another 15 years. So as Hezekiah prayed, Hezekiah was actually bending his will to the will of God. It may not seem like that on the surface. It may seem on the surface that Hezekiah had to talk God into doing something that God did not want to do. But that's not what's happening here. In fact, we see from Scripture, um, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, that God does not change his mind. You see, prayer causes us to surrender. It doesn't cause God to surrender. It's like being out on a boat fishing, and, and you cast your line, and, and the hook hits the shore, and you begin to, to reel. That, that boat begins to move, but it almost feels like you're moving the shoreline to you. But the entire time, you're just being drawn to the shoreline. You see, this is prayer. As we step into prayer, God is pulling us closer and closer into his will, into his character, into his His presence. This is prayer. You're pulling close to the Father and his will, and you are bending your will to his. Basically, Highland, prayer is surrender. And this is so clearly seen in the life of our Savior in Gethsemane. Jesus pleads with with agony, with his father, asking is there any other way to bring salvation to these people outside of the cross? But then Jesus bends his will to the will of the father. And in his prayer, he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. This was Jesus deferring to the will of the father. This is what prayer does for everyone in this room. When we pray and we seek the Lord, our will begins to bend in front of his will, which takes us this morning to communion, where we remember Christ in the garden, we remember Christ on the cross, and we remember the sacrifice. I'm going to pray, and in this prayer, if you need to sneak out of your chair and come get a communion packet, please feel very free to do so. Let's pray together. Father, we remember, we remember on this day and in this moment, Jesus in a garden, praying to his father, praying in agony, and yet coming to a place where his will was bent before the will of the father. God, that's what we want in prayer. Not our way, but your way. Not our plan, but your plan. Not our future for us, but your future for us. Not my will, but Father, may your will be done. And so this morning, your people have gathered once again around the memory of the cross and what that has accomplished for us, the completed work of Jesus. We thank you, God, that in prayer, we can come before you Make our requests known, ask for things, trust you, and allow our will to be bent to yours. So it's in the name of Jesus that we approach the table together and remember the body, the blood of Christ. It's in the name of our Savior that we pray together. Amen. Let me ask for you to pull back the tab where the bread is found. If you'll take that bread and just hold it in your hand, and if you would, just bow your head and bow your heart with me. And as we hold this bread and the sacredness of this moment, can we all remember together Christ on a cross? His body nailed on that tree Jesus who lived the perfect life became the perfect sacrifice and only he could fit that role. Would you remember with me Jesus on his cross and all of our sin heaped upon him. Jesus who became sin so that we in Christ could become the righteousness of God. All of our arrogance and self-sufficiency, all of our pride and lust and materialism, all of our jealousies, born upon the shoulders of the Savior of the world. We remember Christ on the cross opened up to a new and living way for us to enter in we remember Christ on the cross saying, it is finished. The debt has been paid. As your people today, we remember Christ on the cross. So believers in Jesus gathered here today, let's eat together of this bread in remembrance of Jesus. Let us eat in his memory. If you would carefully open the tab of the juice. If you would hold the cup in your hand, and again, I would encourage you perhaps to bow your head and bow your heart before the King. Could we together as the people of God remember the currency by which We were forgiven and set free, the blood of Christ, spilt from a lamb without blemish, the spotless, perfect Son of God. We remember that the the bleeding out of Jesus has purchased for us forgiveness of all of our sins, all of those lies. All of that arrogance, all of that self-sufficiency, the lust, the materialism, the jealousies, blotted out by the blood of Christ. Our sins they were as scarlet, but now we are as white as snow because of the Savior who, by His own authority, laid His life down, and that blood covered our sin. Made us whole. So, believer in Christ here today, let's drink of this cup together as we remember the sacrifice and the blood of Christ. Let us drink in his memory. Why don't you stand with me, please? And we want to give you an opportunity to, to sing, to rejoice to express our hearts of thanksgiving today, our hearts of gratitude. Perhaps you'd wanna come and and kneel here at the front, maybe commit yourself to a week of prayer, a week of taking a step forward in prayer, the discipline of prayer. We have some staff members here at the front, we'd love to pray with you, perhaps there's something happening in your life, in your world, some circumstances, and we'd love to partner with you in prayer and encourage you in prayer. But Helen, I also wanna encourage you, maybe today, if you would consider it, to leave your seat and to kneel here at the front and to pray for Israel, to pray for the Middle East, to pray for peace and for justice. Both of those things go together in the kingdom of God. And ask for, for God to take control of a situation that is horrific. And Ask Him to display His peace his power, His presence. Let's sing. I won't you please come?